I know, I'm the worst. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. And the word of God says, Now the time was fulfilled for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had magnified his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after the name of his father. But his mother answered and said, No, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And they were making signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they marveled all. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak, blessing God. And fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard these things put them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was indeed with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of mercy and grace, Lord, to, Father, to seek your guidance. Lord, we have been blessed beyond blessed to read your very words that you have delivered to your people through your servants by your Spirit. But Lord, we are in and of ourselves incapable of comprehending anything that we've read. So we ask that your spirit would lead us. We ask that your spirit would illuminate your very words, Father, so that we as your people can become holy as you are holy, so that we can seek your face, so that we may grow in sanctification. Lord, and leave this place changed a little more like Christ than when we got here. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So real quick, let's um, do a little, a little bit of, uh, not really review because we haven't gone over it together, but let's catch up a little bit with uh, where the book has been so far. That way we can understand a little bit better as to where we are today. So up to this point, um, there's been a couple of things happen. Um, we've seen um, we've seen uh, John the Baptist, the the person being born in our passage today. We see his birth foretold um, to his father, um, and uh, we see um, we see him being uh, foretold also to his mother. We are seeing this. Um, the they're visited by an angel and the angel tells them, you know, what's going on? This is what's happening. Here's a, you're going to, I know, I, I realize you are advanced in years. Um, you are past childbearing age, but surprise, you're having a kid. Um, and uh, bi big news, big news, wonderful news, grateful news. Uh, so we see uh, John's birth foretold and we also see Jesus' birth foretold. Um, 
And uh, we're not going to touch on that today. We're not going to talk about that today, but we are going to talk about that um, next week. Uh, Brother Jeff is uh, leading our Christmas Eve service, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we see um, a very exciting uh, episode takes place where after Mary is informed by the angel that she's going to have uh, a virgin birth, um, that she goes to visit her sister Elizabeth, and uh, as she comes in and greets Elizabeth, her cousin, um, the baby in the in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy, um, and we. Uh, I am sure you've heard wonderful sermons on that about um, the the recognition, even in even in the womb, the that the prophet, the, the forerunner, had of the being in the presence of the Messiah, even at such an early early age. Um, and then we see Mary uh, magnifying the Lord in her song. Uh, what has been handed down through church history as what's called the Magnificat, uh, Mary's Magnificat, or Mary's magnification or glorifying of the Lord. Um, and then uh, that brings us to our passage today, uh, where John the Baptist is born in fulfillment with, uh, of the prophecy, essentially, that the angel had given to his parents. So let's pick up. In verse 57, and as is our way, we're going to go through verse by verse, slowly but surely, through the passage, and I promise I will get you out of here before Christmas. Verse 57, now the time was fulfilled for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Now that in and of itself, again, remember, we're talking about a woman who is, the Bible describes her, advanced in years, past the age of childbearing. We're talking uh, we're, we're kind of having a throwback here to Abraham and Sarah, right? Um, they were advanced in years. She was past the age of childbearing, um, but God did something miraculous. He opened the womb, and she was able to uh, conceive, a, conceive and bear a son. We're seeing something similar here. We're seeing something that is, um, that is miraculous, something that God is doing on um, not simply for the sake of just doing something. Uh, we see he's doing something in order to prepare the way for the Messiah. We're seeing that this is uh, this birth. This we're seeing a lesser miracle pointing to a coming greater miracle, right? So, someone who is advanced in years and, according to all experts, past the age of childbearing, giving birth, while somebody who by no means should give any should give birth ever at any time for any reason is going to give birth six months later. Um, so, we're seeing a one. We're seeing a lesser miracle pointing to a greater miracle. We're seeing God is building to something, right? God is doing something wonderful in this family. And she conceives, uh, or Elizabeth, the time it fulfilled, was fulfilled, and she gave birth to a son. Um, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had magnified his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. Now, what we're seeing here is um, not simply a little bit of a fulfillment of what happened. Hey, you're going to have a kid. Um, hey, it's going to be a boy. But also we see uh, all part of that prophecy, part of that proclamation from the angel was, and, uh, and the people shall rejoice with you at his coming. And so we're seeing there's neighbors and family members and they're coming and they, this woman who by all accounts should not be giving birth is having a son. And their response should be and is rejoicing. Isn't that the Christian life? 
Don't we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Isn't that what God has called us to do? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should, we should gather around one another. And with our brothers and sisters who are mourning and weeping, we mourn and weep with them. And we put our arm around them and we let them know you're not alone in this pit that you find yourself in. This pit isn't the end, but it points to greater things. And with our brothers and sisters who are rejoicing because God has done something wonderful in their lives, something that maybe they have prayed for, they have longed for, they have yearned for, but have finally come to a place to where they thought they were never going to have it. And their mourning was turned into rejoicing. We put our arms around them and we give them big bear hugs and we say, praise God for all he's doing in your life. I know you have been praying for this and we're so grateful. We rejoice with you. We rejoice with our brothers and sisters. We come around together and we celebrate with them. And then when, when it seems like things are going the opposite way, when it seems like things are just falling apart. And maybe they've hit rock bottom and decided it can't get any worse. And then all of a sudden, rock bottom's big brother comes and says, is this the guy who hit you? And gives him a whooping. And it just gets worse. We put our arms around him and we wrap him in that same big bear hug. But instead of tears of joy and rejoicing, we give them we share in their tears of sorrow and sadness. But sorrow and sadness is not the end. Sorrow and sadness is merely a pit stop on the Christian life. Yes, the, the Bible tells us that the Christian life is one of suffering, but it's not one of sorrow. It's one of rejoicing. It's one in looking to the promise that we have been given, just like this couple had been promised a child. Brother and sister, we have been promised something far greater. So we look to that promise and we rejoice in the fulfillment of that promise. Why? Because we serve a God who has not broken a promise. Brother and sister, we serve a God who keeps his promises, who keeps his word, and he fulfills all he has sworn to fulfill. And why does he do that? Not because he swears by anything under heaven or on the earth, but he swears by his own name. For there is nothing higher that he can swear by. So he puts his own integrity on the line. And if there is something you can guarantee about God, it's that he will not lose his integrity. So we put our arms around him and we love him and we cry with him and we say, though the sorrow may last for the night, brother and sister, I promise you the joy is coming in the morning. It's coming. It doesn't feel like it right now. It feels dark and it feels lonely and it feels sad, but I promise the joy is coming. So her neighbors gather around her and, and her relatives because they had heard what was happening and they rejoice with her. And they, mag and they uh, hear about uh, how the Lord has magnified his great mercy toward her <laughs> brother and sister. Let me just put it, put it forth to you here today. Not just the great mercy he had put forth toward her, but the great mercy he was putting forth toward the world. Because with the birth of this child was the forerunner of the one who was to come after him. The one who was to prepare the way 
and to make his path straight so that he would herald the becoming king and who would follow behind him but the king himself. The promised one, the Messiah, who came to fulfill every promise and every word that God had ever spoken or inspired to be written down. God was showing forth his great mercy, not just towards this one wonderful godly couple in the middle of a desert over in the over somewhere in the east, but they, he was showing forth his great mercy towards his creation, towards his people across all time and geography. So her neighbors and her relatives, they heard of this great, great mercy of the Lord. And they came and they rejoiced. And it happened on the eighth day. They came to circumcise the child. We can pump the brakes there for a second. This ain't weird. This is God's decree. We saw it in the Old Testament. We're seeing it continued here in the New Testament. This was Jewish custom. On the eighth day, the child was supposed to be circumcised. There's some wonderful, actually, um, there's some wonderful uh, um, science actually behind why the eighth day. If you uh, if, if you do some digging, um, it's actually on the eighth day uh, after a child is born that his clotting factors are at the most are at his their highest. So the chances of him bleeding out from the procedure are much lower uh, because his clotting factors are in full gear. And so the, the, this this obviously isn't something they had access to other than trial and error, um, but they didn't have to do that because God had decreed the day that they should do that. So God, in his infinite mercy and, and true science, supporting what God has always said. Um, and so on the eighth day, they come to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah. Why? Because these people had no idea. And they thought, well, his, his, dad's, a, his dad's a priest, and... We, you know, obviously we wanted deference and honor and respect to him. You know, we called the kid Zechariah. This was a, this was also a very common Jewish custom. It's a little less common today, but not obviously not unheard of. We see um, sons or daughters being named after their parents or grandparents or something to that effect. Uh, my my own son's name. He has my middle name and my dad's middle name. Um, so William Jeffrey. I'm sorry, I did not name him after you, <laughs> but. But um, this this is obviously not unheard of today, or not even uncommon. But back then, it uh, it was really weird if you named your kid a name that your family had no connection to. Um, so they come and they're going to name him Zachariah. Why? Maybe they didn't know who the grandfather's name was. I don't know how public or private this this couple was. Um, but they're coming together and saying they were going to name him Zechariah after the name of his father to show honor and respect and because, well, that's just kind of what they did. Um, but his mother answered and said, no, but he shall be called John. Now, this is interesting. Why John? That's weird. Um, the, it, the, the neighbors and relatives are like, that's, that name's way out of left field, man. What's John? We're not saying there's never been a great John. We're just, why John? John? Seriously? Um, but there's a reason for this. The name John means the grace of the Lord. It can also be translated the mercy of the Lord. Um, 
It's also been translated in the past as the Lord has shown his mercy or his grace. Um, and so while the name is obviously rich with meaning, there's another more obvious reason why they were calling his name John, and that's because, well, the, the angel of the Lord said they better. So they, they were doing that. Um, I mean, so at the time... They're, when the family and the neighbors are saying, we're going to name him Zachariah after his dad because we love this family and we want to honor them and show them respect. The mom said, or Elizabeth says, no, he shall be called John. And then they reply to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Do you even know a John? Like, what's the deal with that? Like, why are you calling him John? And... This, this sweet, sweet group of people who I am sure have the best of intentions um, then go to the Father and say, and we're making signs to him. Like the Bible says, making signs to, uh, to him. And from this, we can, uh, we can gather some information, right? Um, the, when the angel of the Lord had come to Zechariah and said, hey, this is what's going to happen. And this is what you're going to name him. And Zechariah fired back with, but we're old. And the angel said, no, this is going to happen. And to show you it's going to happen, I am going to take away your ability to speak. Um, and so from the time Zechariah receives the news until the time up to and including the time where it, that the passage we're going over talks about now, Zechariah cannot speak. Um, and the, the fact that they're making motions and signs to him uh, leads us to believe maybe he was also struck deaf because um, otherwise they could just talk to him. They could just say, hey, Zechariah, what do you want to call the kid? Uh, but they kind of had to motion and make signs because he couldn't, he couldn't understand them. Um, so the idea here is that uh, not only was he silenced, but he was also living in silence. Zechariah was up to and including this point, living a, a living illustration of what the people of Israel had been living in for the past 400 years. What we call the intertestamental period, a period of silence where they did not hear from God between the closing chapters of the Old Testament and these opening chapters of the New Testament, the people of Israel had been essentially living without a prophetic voice in their presence. And Zechariah, we see, we see here, I am convinced, is a living illustration of the people of Israel at this time. Living in silence, living without the ability to to speak to or receive word from God. So they asked him and made signs to his father as to what he would have the child be called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows, His name is John. His name is the Lord's mercy. His name is the Lord has shown his mercy. 
a man who, because of his own response and doubt and disbelief, had been struck deaf and dumb upon the birth of his child, this promised child, replies, the Lord has shown his mercy, and that will be the child's name. And they all marveled. They were surprised. That's exactly what Elizabeth said. Did you two conspire? What's going on here? But verse 64 tells us, And at once his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak. Not just saying any old thing. Not just saying, finally! Not saying, after all these months, I can say something and you people can understand me. But he opens his mouth, and his tongue is loosed, and what he does is bless God. Your translation may say, praise God or worship God. The idea here is that it wasn't about Zechariah. It wasn't about his wife. It wasn't even about his son who had just been born. He realized it was about God. We can too often forget that, can't we? It's, it's easier to get on our knees or on our face before God. When times are just hard, man. It's, there's, there's, there's a level of, obviously, I, I'm, I need to be on my face before God. The child of God understands. When times are tough and he's been, he's been pressed into the dirt, I'm down here, I might as well pray. But it's when we're riding pretty high on the hog that we tend to forget we need God just as much there as we did when we were already in the dirt. So this man whose who's, who's wife has just given birth, his son who was just born healthy and circumcised, making him by all appearances a member of the covenant community of Israel, and whose ability to speak and presumably hear have just been returned to him. His immediate response is to praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to confess to you, I fail too often there. I fail too often when things are going well to let my first response be praise to the Lord. I am too quick to forget on those mountaintop experiences how much I need God. And I have a feeling I'm not alone. I have a feeling that if we were all honest, we could all say, and at least at one point or another, we've all been through a period of time that was pretty good by all accounts. But instead of giving praise to God, I took credit. I was selfish. Or even worse, I was careless and didn't think about it at all.
But Zechariah's mouth once opened and his tongue once loosed poured forth nothing but praise and worship and honor to his God. Let that be us. No, let me rephrase. Church, let our praise and honor and worship and glorifying and blessing of the Lord put Zechariah to shame. Because if there, are, if there is any people throughout the history of time and geography that have a reason to worship God, it is those of us who live on this side of the cross. That's us. Because we can look back and we can, and we can see what God has done. We're not looking forward to a time of uncertainty saying, well, I know God has promised to do this, but I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what, I don't know how he's going to fulfill that. I don't know exactly, I don't know the guy's name. I just know what's going to happen. We have his name. We have his name because he is the fulfillment of everything that God has ever done. We have his name because the one who comes before him, whose birth we are reading right now, preached him throughout his entire earthly ministry, baptized people into the forgiveness of sins, preached him. And when he finally saw him that day by the river, he yelled, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His name is Jesus. And brother and sister, he is our only hope. He's not, it's not simply a name we were saved by at one point, and now we are riding the coattails just until we get to glory. That is not the case. Brother and sister, we need that name every day. We need that gospel every day. Martin Luther was once asked, why is it in every sermon, every day, you preach the gospel. His response was, because every day my people need it, but forget it. Brother and sister, you need the gospel every day. And if you are here and you are not called by the name of Christ at this point in time, if you are not counted among his people, you need the gospel too. You need the name of Jesus too. Because there is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. That's it. The name is Jesus. And he came to do what we could not do and obeyed the law perfectly. And even though he obeyed the law perfectly, thereby earning for himself the right to eternal life, he instead laid down his life by being nailed to a cross in your place, and in my place. But because he is not just holy, but holy, holier than holy, and because he is not just righteous, but more righteous than righteous, and because he is not just a law, was not just a law-abiding citizen, but was himself the lawgiver, death could not hold him. And it spat him back out 
on the third day and he rose again from the dead and he walked and he showed himself not just to people who already believed and had lost heart and faith and hope, but to people who had no idea who he was. He had revealed himself to his disciples, to his apostles, to uh, all those in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area and to 500 brothers at one point in time, all at the same time. I know what you're thinking. Oh, it's probably mass hysteria or hallucination. It has nothing to do with mass hysteria or hallucination. You know how I know? Because that is an internal experience that is subjective that you have within your own mind. And to get people to hallucinate the exact same thing at the exact same time in the exact same way is physically impossible. The math doesn't math. So I know it happened. I know it's real. And I know it's the name that you need to be saved because it's the very name that I need to be saved. So Zechariah, his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he began to speak, blessing God. What we are seeing here, my brother and sister, is an illustration of what happened to the people of Israel. They, were, they lived through a 400-year period of silence between the two Testaments. And with this simple act, the birth of this baby... And the illustration of Zechariah himself, God is saying, I'm talking to you again. You are not alone. I have not left you alone. I have always been here. And here is my prophet to show you not just that I'm here, but that I've come to save you. I know this because in verse 65 it says, And fear came on all those living around them. A man opened his mouth and talked. That's not weird. That's not scary. What's scary is what it meant. What's scary was that these people, all those who were there for the birth of this child, all those who had witnessed the birth of this child, the naming of this child, and the loosening of this man's mouth and his tongue, they understood that there was something special going on here. But fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country in Judea. Why? Because people really like to talk. Something amazing happens, people like to talk about it. It's a big deal. Hey, this couple was kind of old, by the way. They had a kid. They didn't just have a kid. They named him something kind of weird. They named him after the grace of God. Nobody in their family is called by that name, but they named him after the grace of God. They named him John. And when it happened, it's the funniest thing. His father wrote down what his name should be called. You know Zechariah, the priest who hasn't been able to talk for the past few months? Well, he started talking. And he didn't just start talking. He didn't start saying random stuff. He started giving praise and honor and glory and worship to the Lord. This moment is a big deal. This moment is rich and saturated with the purpose and blessing of God. So the people who lived around there and heard these things, were afraid. Why? Because they'd been living in 400 years of darkness, and the light was finally shining. 
And to a people who are accustomed to darkness, the light can be really scary. You know what it's like first thing in the morning. It's time to wake up and go to school. Dad's tired of telling you to come to wake up, so he comes in and flips on your light. It burns your redness. It's blinding. But a people who have been living in 400 years of darkness can't even comprehend the light. And we see that in the next gospel. We see that that very description in the next gospel written by another John. Who said the light shone into the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the light is shining into this 400 years of darkness and the people are afraid because they don't understand what's going on. They, they, they understand something is happening. They understand there is something going on. They don't know what it is. And all who heard these things put them in their heart. Your translation may say pondered them in their heart. Your translation may say thought about these things. It's very, it's very similar, almost identical language to uh, Mary's response uh, after the birth of Jesus. And the Bible says she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's very similar language. So all these people who heard these things put them, pondered them in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? Not because the circumstances of his birth were kind of funky. Not simply because the, the situation was a little bizarre, but we all got over it and moved on. The Bible says, for the hand of the Lord was indeed with him. For the hand of the Lord was upon that child. And we know why that is now. Because he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. That's why the hand of the Lord was on him. Because he was the first prophet in 400 years and his job was not simply to foretell and foretell God's will. His job was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Not simply promises and and predictions, but fulfillment. That was his job. So the hand of the Lord rested mightily upon him. Brothers and sisters, the hand of the Lord rests mightily upon you and me. Yes, the Messiah has already come. The, the, the path for his first coming has already been prepared and made straight. But he's coming again. And brothers and sisters, it is our job as his people, as his children, as his body, to prepare the way for that second coming. And how do we do that? By proclaiming the gospel. By proclaiming that very name by which man must be saved. That is our job. Jesus says of John later that among those born of women, none greater has been born than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom 
is greater than he. Brothers and sisters, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And by Old Testament, I simply mean before the ministry of Christ. We, as the disciples of Christ, have been given a job, a similar duty, to proclaim the gospel. Not the gospel of what God will do, the gospel of what God has done. Because it's finished. Jesus himself said it on the cross. It's finished. So, brother and sister, you go out from this place and you don't be satisfied with simple, common, everyday interactions. My encouragement to you is to go from this place and proclaim the it is finished gospel and prepare the way for our Lord and Messiah's second coming. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne again, Lord, to thank you for your word, to thank you that your word is evidence that you have not left us alone, but you have instead chosen to walk with us, to communicate to us. And your word points us to your son, whom you sent on our behalf, Lord, not because we are worthy and deserving, Lord, but quite the opposite, but because you are worthy and you are deserving and you are love. We ask, Lord, that for all those here who are called by your name, Lord, compel us, motivate us, push us by your spirit to go out and preach the end is finished gospel. Lord, and for those who are not called by your name, Lord, we pray you will take those rough, stony, cold hearts, remove them, and replace them with hearts of flesh that long and beat and yearn for you. Lord, may we not be a people who simply gather together on Sundays, high five and hallelujah and walk out the door. No different than when we came in. Lord, may we not be that people. Lord, instead, may we be the people whom you have called us to be. The heralds of your second coming, Lord Jesus. May we be that people. And Lord, may it start with me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.